I'm Keith Stern, the rabbi of Temple Beth Avodah of Newton, Massachusetts, and this is TBA Now, a podcast featuring issues and concerns that affect our temple community and the people who make it an interesting, dynamic place to be. Everyone has stories to tell. This is the place to hear them. Jimmy Holzman is one of the most energetic human beings I've ever met. He is a whirling dervish of activity. From the time he was a kid, it was all about business and people and talking. He took that energy and became president and CEO of Ace Tickets, one of the largest independent ticket brokers in the country. How did he get there? And what happened when COVID stopped everything? Jimmy Hosman, welcome to TBA Now, a Temple podcast that we're putting together by talking to members of the congregation like you who have amazing stories to tell. And before we jump right into learning your history here, which is deep, I wanted to begin by sharing a story about you. Um, Some years ago, I, like every other person in your life, maybe more gently or less, called you up. Hey, Jimmy, James Taylor is coming to Gillette or wherever he was. Uh, I said, uh, could you uh, maybe get me some good tickets? He said, I'll see what I can do. You got us, for me and for Liza, you got us incredible tickets, great tickets. And shortly before the concert began, you showed up, which I thought maybe that's what you do for all of your venues. (laughs) You show up and make sure your customers are seated. And you said, uh, Rabbi, follow me. And uh, you have to say thank you. Just... Say something nice about me at my funeral. He then <laughs> led me and my wife uh, to the first row, and our uh, jaws dropped. And Liza turned to me then and said, This guy's unbelievable. Look what he did for us. And I said, I know he is unbelievable. And as I was coming to talk with you this morning, Liza said to me, you're talking to Jimmy today, right? I said, yeah. She goes, please make sure to thank him for that experience. And I thought that that kind of in a nutshell was something about who you are as a businessman, as providing the unique service that you do. And that you thrive off of the happiness that you enable people to connect to. And so to keep my marriage strong, I want to say thank you on behalf of my wife. And then, of You're course, welcome. thank you, know, you it, from me. You know, it's funny. I, I, uh, I'm going to tell you the truth because 
I actually do not remember that. Of course you don't. <laughs> I mean, how many venues? I ain't the first or last guy you ever got a good seat for. And uh, But now that I have, I wish you didn't say thank you because it's so slow. I was going to get to bill you this week, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, one of the things about great thing that the vocation that I chose is that you actually get to make things better for people. I think that when I opened my store and people would come to the counter or when I drove... Before I opened my store and I would drive and meet people and I'd give them their tickets, they would hand me their money and they would say thank you like a hundred times. And I was like, wow, this is a really good business. Well, they're giving me their money and they're saying thank you. Well, they're giving me their money. I'm like, this <laughs> this may be a good in, you know, this may be a you know opportunity here for you know for an industry type of thing. So how did you even come to think of selling tickets to someone as a means of making a living? You know, I think a million things go through my head, right? You know, even at the beginning of your podcast, you think about, like, you know, what this podcast does. And, you know, I think about incredibly accomplished members of this community, right? But, you know, there's uh, just, you know, and I think I mentioned this to you before as a kid coming here. And I, you know, I had no idea what, you know, Z Wasserman did. But every year he was the one who bought all the good flowers at the holiday, right? He seemed to be the guy who did really well around here. But I would have liked to have known what that guy did, right? Or like, you know, I would have, but I actually probably, you know, in a weird way, I looked up to that guy and he had no idea who I ever was. And, you know, it's like, wow, he, he's a, a good guy who actually gave back to this temple here. And like with the temple, I probably learned my first learning of the value probably of time, right? At the end of the day, I guess we have time and money. I knew we didn't have all the financial means of some other members of this temple, but my mother always gave her time. Like... She spent, an, you know, as a child, I just remember her sending an extraordinary, an extraordinary amount of time, you know, at this temple. And her big thing being the, uh, the, the rummage sale. And then I see the Cradles to Crayon box, right? And it's funny, you know, ironically, I'm on, the, I'm on the board of Cradles to Crayons, right? And it's like for years, we'd have a bin there to collecting stuff for the rummage sale, right? So, and now I'm connected to this bin there, still collecting those things. But, you know, my mom... She loved those rummage sales. I mean, she hustled and worked those rummage sales. People dropped that stuff at the trailer. That was like really grunt work. You sorted and sorted and, and all that. And, you know, so I think I realized the value of time, right? Like if you don't have money, you have time. I was always enamored of being there at a big event. But 1975, game six of the World Series, that Carlton Fist thing, where people, the line, just to, to try to people imagine this, is the line at the box office started and it went down, uh, Jersey Street, Yaki Way, whatever they're calling it now, hooked around Van Ness, came up Lansdowne, went down Brookline Ave, hooked up Boylston Street, and <laughs> went to the Berkeley College of Music and continued down Boylston Street there. Wow. People lined up to get go to the One World thing. Series. And then uh, it rained Saturday. And... Uh, that was a pretty interesting experience because that kind of thinned out the herd, right? Who's going to stay? Well, the game's not now. The game's not till now. The game's not till Sunday. Now you're like, and you're out there in the rain. So I think that was probably really awesome for me thinking back about it. Like a test. That was actually probably my first test of intestinal fortitude, because I didn't want to leave my place in line. And then it rained again. The game didn't end up getting played till Tuesday night. So for four days, sat in that sidewalk waiting in that. Rain, damp, soaked, right? No shower, nothing, right? And I got in and I got a ticket. And I got one of the, I was like the third to last person to get a ticket. Just crazily had a standing room ticket and uh, 
Got to be there in 1975 for Carlton Fisk's home run. Clearly remember watching that happen. Clearly remember a black elderly gentleman next to me at a time when like busing was going on and black people were afraid of white people. And I was intimidated by any black person just because I didn't know. And hugging that guy after that happened and that being like a thing and just like, so that was my first taste of being at something big and realizing how big that it wasn't just a ticket, it was a memory. Those factors all together gave me my love for tickets, the energy that that can give off. With kind of how my business launched, I heard about Bruce Springsteen tickets going on sale one day. I decided as a college student, I wanted to go see Bruce Springsteen. I heard a rumor one day at like 10 in the morning, they were gonna go on sale that day at three. I went down to my local record store, which is where you went to buy your tickets and waited in line. And, and that day by 12 and one o'clock, there was like a hundred people. And by two o'clock, there was like 200 people. Strangely, just standing there at about quarter of three, like with 15 minutes to go, the concept of time and money kind of appeared to me. I looked down to my right and saw these 200 people waiting there. And I said, you know, this show's going to sell out. And there's going to be people out here who didn't have the time to come out here and wait for this ticket that are probably going to want tickets. And I remember like just saying like, wow, there's an opportunity. And like a moment's flash, you can't, simultaneously, I realized I had 40 bucks in my pocket. Tickets were going on sale in 15 minutes. There's a line down there to the right. I've been here for seven hours, and lo and behold, across the way is a new new kind of thing, an ATM, a Bay Bank machine. And I'm like, you know what? I look over, I see the sign, you're allowed to buy four seats. I'm like, why am I buying two seats? I was gonna buy me and maybe take a girl or, or go with a buddy, and the light bulb went off, and you know, that's when I realized, you know what, I'm gonna buy four tickets, ran across the parking lot, said to the guy next to me, hey, can you hold my space for a second? Well, he thought I was nuts, he was like, are you shitting me? You've been here for seven hours. You're just deciding now to get the money. And it's like, I'm like, I'll be right back. Got the 40 bucks, bought the seats, sold out pretty quickly. You know, you got the seats, didn't know what to do. Was too scared to talk to anybody in line. And, uh, you know, that day put a little index card up at the grocery store and, you know, sold them for, sold two seats for, you know, $30 each that had cost me 20 each. And that's how I got my free ticket. And that's why I got to see Bruce, Stings, Bruce Springsteen for free. You know, real and realizing that was really the beginning of the business was like, oh, if I want to go to a show, I'll just wait in line, get tickets for myself, buy a couple of extras, sell them to pay for my ticket to go to the show. It really was never about for me to make money. It was how else was I going to be able to afford to get a ticket to go to a show? So, so it began as an undergraduate. Yes, yeah, as an undergraduate. And then I started simultaneously, I guess, to that is that uh, at Northeast and I'd met some guys who were in a rock and roll band. And back then, the, the Boston rock and roll community was really vibrant. Um, uh, Boston Phoenix, uh, which was the, you know, the, the paper at the time, the Village Voice, the Boston Village Voice, maybe, you know, had 14, there was 1,400 bands in Boston, 1,400, uh, 20 nightclubs, really, really active rock and roll scene. Uh, the, the, the new wave movement, punk, rock, uh, disco, there was just a lot of stuff going on in Boston. So uh, I was musically challenged. I never really played an instrument. Um, there's another story I could go to there, but I won't. But the uh, I ended up meeting these guys, and I real and I and I liked them, and they were like, you know, why don't you be our manager? Like, the, you know, I, so I became, you know, I became their manager, and as I became their manager uh, through my college years, you know, 80, 81, 82, um, I would sell tickets to my own show. So I became a self promoter and had to sell tickets. So I was selling. So I, I was, you know, kind of dabbling and dabbling in tickets that way. So you went from picking up some tickets, figuring out you could make a couple bucks from it, to becoming a leader in the industry. Yeah. So what was the transition point for you? 
Was it a totally gradual process? Or the no, big so I think what, so, so what happened was, you know, I ran, you know, I worked really hard in my 20s. You know, I worked for, a, you know, I ran a chain of shoe stores. I paid my way through college. I ran a chain of shoe stores that I'd started out when I was 15, uh, Tamor Shoe, stayed with them till I was 29. Uh, started there washing the floors. Uh, got a promotion three months later, the stock boy. Uh, several years later, I ended up running the company. I was, there, I was like the general manager of the company. Ran that company from nine in the morning till nine at night. Uh, by the time I was 25, 26, it wasn't just that one band I started with. I was managing 12 bands and I was a booking agent. By the time I was 26, I was running a nightclub. So I'd work from nine in the morning till nine at night at the shoe store. And then I'd work at 10 at night till two in the morning running a nightclub. So I worked really incredibly hard. The shoe company I worked for, I ended up leaving that shoe company and going to work for a different company. I left this company called Tamore. They changed hands, and uh, I disagreed with the principles of how they were going to run the company. Uh, people were paid on commission, and they worked really hard to help make sales. And these people came from a company called Parade of Shoes, and they felt that service and quality didn't matter as much as just throw them up in a rack and let people get in themselves and didn't value like the human experience. And I actually, that was kind of probably my separation from that company. Went to work for another company. Down in Fort unfortunately, I had 400 people working for me. It was a great company. My business was up 22%. On Monday, I drove to the company's headquarters and I was told we're going out of business in 10 days. I had to spend the next 10 days going from store to store, letting people go. At that point, it was a traumatic, not traumatic, well, traumatizing in some ways. I said to myself, I can never allow my fate to ever be put into another man's hands. I can never do this again to anybody. I'm never going to, I'm not going to have somebody else tell me you have to go let people go into have families and put food on their table. And like the personal responsibility of that was just, I did never wanted to put that fate into someone else's hands again. At that time, the ticket business was a very seedy, gray industry. Um, um, and it was run by, you know, people in it were not savory, you know, had some characters, many, many good guys, but many unsavory characters. And it was very odd to me. I, I'd go looking for different tickets for myself and I'd call places up in the yellow pages and I'd call them up and say like, you know, hi, I'm, I mean, they'd answer the tickets. I'm like, hi, you know, I'm looking for tickets to go to this game. It's like, who are you? I'm like, you know, my name's Jim. I'm just calling. And it's like, who told you to call me? And I'm like, well, nobody. I'm just opening the yellow. And, and they were yelling at you and mean to you. And I'm like, wow, this is kind of an effed up business. Like, I mean, you call people up to do business and they yell at you and scream at you like they don't want to do business with you. I don't really understand like why it's that way. And it made me kind of realize like, wow, if you actually doing what I'm kind of doing and applied it in a bigger way that you maybe really have a viable business opportunity here. So I decided like, you know, like I, th this is ridiculous. This is an industry. People are doing it on corners and street corners. Why shouldn't it be done in the light of day? Why shouldn't it be done in a retail environment? Like I sold shoes. Why shouldn't I open a store? 98, I kind of looked at like three major events happening. That was, we had the, we had the Ryder cup at the country club. We had the Davis cup at Longwood um, tennis club. And we had the all-star came coming to Fenway. And actually I said to myself, you know, the epicenter of that would be the corner of route nine and Cypress street. That'd be the center point. This would be my best shot of success. I have three events going on. If I'm ever going to open a store, this is the time to do it. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, you know, I opened up a ticket there and opened my first retail store and you know what things went, you know, Things went, you know, really good and things went as planned and we grew it to, you know, a chain of seven locations and then the internet came along. 
right? Like in terms of internet sales, right? That started like picking picking up steam, right? Like and that and that and that I'm over like a ten year period. Retail brick and mortar became less relevant than the internet, and to scale, no longer was going to be physical presence. It was going to be online presence. You've done really well in this industry, and till people, March. Well, so <laughs> people uh, senior ads people uh you were a sponsor at uh, fenway saw your name yep. up in uh, must have been really thrilling so yeah march when did you start to get nervous about covid affecting the industry affecting so, you like in february were, were you reading the reports from so Shot, I, didn't know, like, but I think it was it was so in November, a year ago, I decided to take a really hard look at everything I was doing. And I decided that, uh, you know, Chase is getting bar mitzvahed in the spring. You're turning 60. You're finally going to go to Israel in June. I worked so hard. You know, I wasn't the smartest kid, but darn it, I was going to try as hard as anyone else. And I, I, I said to myself, you know... I got to touch. I got to, in May, I'm going to take it easy. I got to change my life. I, I got to enjoy the Cape more. I got to relax. I got to start smelling the roses. So I think that, you know, and at the same time, I was looking at my business and deciding what to do with my business. And, you know, a, a massive opportunity came along to me in November and a massive opportunity that was going to be, uh, I'll just say, uh, uh, um, life-changing? Life-changing. Yeah. So, then, um, that's the plan, you know, March 7th. So, we start thinking about it, and I think COVID comes up on the radar, in February, is this going to event and uh, think affect, affect anything at Ace Ticket and what we're doing in business? So March comes, March the Monday, March eighth, uh, ninth. We're supposed to uh, the family were Beth Chase, Sidney Meyer, and I, and supposed to go out to Utah to ski. I just remember staring at that TV Wednesday night with that Rudy Gobert, and they showed when they showed like. This is the guy with COVID, the guy who touched all the microphones at that press conference, mocking it and touching that and like, and just watching this on the TV like a hundred times. Well, at the same time, I actually had, I had been in bed for like, I was in bedridden at that time because I had uh, 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 altitude sickness, severe altitude sickness that day. And I was lying in bed, just like watching this happen and like being in the shock, the shock that this was the guy and watching that over and over again and like, trying to absorb what what does this all mean? And then the next day, Thursday, I think I have this right, my employees saying like, you know, it's like, this is really bad. People are really scared. Like, wow, like all of a sudden, like boom, right? And I'm like, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? Thursday, leaving Utah, I got a phone call at the airport telling me um, that this, uh, I, this big deal that I was working on, it was over. There was zero discussion. And even though in my head I was preparing for a discussion and what I was going to say, 
Just like that, it was over. And I remember being there with Sidney and Meyer and having to walk away because I cried. And I remember like that flight home, like fortunately, and my kids will hear this for the first time, but they hear it is, you know, sometimes, you know, things happen pretty good for you. You know, they happen to be in, I was in uh, one row sitting alone and they were the row behind me. So they didn't realize how I was that plane ride home and how stressed that tough that ride was home and trying to figure like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know, and like that night trying to figure out what I'm going to do. I got my employees on disarray. What am I going to, you know, they don't know what's going to happen. All of a sudden this uncertainty is like swirling out of control. What am I going to do? And on Thursday night, I stay up all night trying to figure out what to do. And I start, and I start thinking about I'm like, oh my gosh, this is you know, 30 years later, the same thing I went through down. I'm like, this could impact things for people. Like, gosh, are we going to have to let, oh, I'm never going to, I never had to let people go and it's never going to happen. I said that would never happen. Like, what's going to happen here? And I found, I just started thinking about the Malden Mills guy and Aaron Feuerstein and started watching videos on Aaron Feuerstein and uh, what he did with Malden Mills. And, you know, just, you know, people don't know the story. Just, you know, basically had a company and he was in his 70s and ironically a nice Jewish guy from Brookline and his company burned to the ground. He had an insurance he had an insurance settlement for, he could have gotten like 50 or 60 million bucks. His company burned to the ground. And rather than taking that 50, 60 million bucks, which most people in their 70s would have done and said, call it a day. He's like, you know, I can't do that. There's 3,000 people that work for me and I have to rebuild this. And it's not just my people, but my 3,000 people work for me. They go to the dry, you know, they go to the laundromat and they go to the sub shop. And this is, this will affect Lawrence and Haverhill. My family has roots in this area and I could never do this to this community. And he, you know, and he put all his, and he, and he made an announcement. And he called those people and said, that, I'm going to save the company. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to save the company. And I'm paying everybody for 30 days. Don't worry. I'm paying everybody for 30 days. Don't worry. And then 30 days later, he brought the people back in and said, don't worry, I'm going to pay for another 30 days. And then after that, he, he just kept going. And it's really an awesome story. Didn't end very well, unfortunately, but it was an awesome story. And I found a lot of inspiration in that. I watched the segment he did on 60 Minutes and he that as we go back to our Judaism to a degree here, you know, this thing in 60 minutes and he talked about it and they're talking to him and he said, you know, how, how could you do this? And he's like, well, how could I not do this? It's like a Jew, you know, the Talmud teaches us, like you cannot oppress a man, especially a man with less than you. And here I am with this that I've, yes, I worked hard for it. I have it, but like, how do I not help my fellow man? How do I just not do that? And I found that to be really inspirational. And I, next day I went into work, I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to tell my people 30 days because in 30 days, I'm just going to tell them another 30 days. So why should I make them get stressed? Let me tell them, don't worry for 60 days. You know, and like, and I send an email, don't worry, we're ace ticket. We're better than anybody. Don't you worry. We're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. We're going to be fine for 60 days. No matter what happens, don't worry. Y'all have jobs. Don't worry. And then, you know, and then, then Saturday, you know, and then just somehow that Saturday, Sunday, Monday, boy, things just got, sometimes, somehow things just got exponentially worse by the day. Not twofold, not threefold, not fourfold, but like tenfold. And um, just, just got really bad. Just got really bad, really exponentially bad. Just every day it got exponentially worse than the next day. Your business went, you know, your business went being down 70% to 75 to 85 to 95 to... 99 to to more than 100 and they say well how could that happen because that's when i made the decision to refund customers so now my business isn't down 100 percent i'm down 150 percent 200 percent 
But everybody refunded. Right. So, you know, nobody else. So we were the only ones who refunded. Right. So, so this was a very interesting. So this was a really pivotal point for me too. This actually was. So while StubHub and Vivid and Ticketmaster and all the teams, nobody gave refunds. Zero people gave refunds. And I'm getting calls from customers saying, hey, can I get refunds? And I made a decision pretty quickly, like, how am I not going to get people refunds? It's freaking this COVID stuff's going on. People are losing their jobs. They have loved ones who are getting sick. And they're asking me for a refund. Like, of course I got to give them a refund. It's the only right thing to do. And, you know, what made that difficult was, um, you know, we had four to seven million dollars of those with no money coming in and nobody else giving us the refunds. You know, so, you know, I secured the funds to make sure we could do it. And we, you know, we funded everybody in a, in a timely fashion. So the good thing is, you know, we did the right thing by our customers, which was a really crucial thing because no matter what happened to Ace Ticket, even though there was, my lawyers advised me go bankrupt. You're out of your mind not to go bankrupt. You, you can, you're going to lose a lot of money. He just go bankrupt. I'm like, I'm not doing that. There's too much shame in that. He's like, no, that's why you pay the taxes. No shame in it. Like this protects people for you, like under the circumstance. And I just, there was just not, that's not an option for me. So, you know, I, um, um, decided like, you know, doing the right thing by my customers that no matter what happens, even if at the end of the day, I just lock my doors today's ticket, I'm going to lock my door saying, Hey, I didn't screw anybody over. I did the right thing. I think during those 60 days, but those 60 days from March 10th to May 10th were my, uh, I guess, as you segue into the next thing, but when, it, when, when how it got bad, right? And when you realized it got bad, maybe to a degree. And like, those 60 days were bad. Those 60 days were some of the hardest 60 days of my life. Um, specifically, specifically uh, April 15th to May 15th, because what happened is, I had 48 employees and as each day of those 60 days went by, even though I certainly never, ever, 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 ever was ever consideration I'd be saying goodbye to any of those people after 60 days. Not at all a consideration. It's just a band-aid. Don't worry, I'll figure it out. It was a harsh reality was setting in. It was like, Whoa, this is going to be it at the end of 60 days for a bunch of these people. I just don't have a, what am I going to do? I'm going to have no choice. Um, and um, <clears throat> so although the economic destruction was hard, the human destruction was a hundredfold. And realizing that, you know, on, on eight, although on March 12th, I told everybody that, that here I was, on April, you know, on, on, on April twelfth, realizing like this isn't this ain't gonna go so good, and um, and then the human toll of that of watching how some people react to that, and some people who you'd worked with for 10, 20 years, and how they process that, some taking it out on you just because they have nowhere else to direct that anger, some quitting and just giving up um, some having some really hard conversations with uh, I probably equate it to going through simultaneously I don't know losing everything you have while going through several divorces simultaneously not knowing what's going to happen you know one of the things you actually sent me as a bullet point is like you know when did you see the light in the train right when did you realize it was a train you know I think I never 
I think for me, Rabbi, that... So I actually, my dark period from April 15th to May 15th was so dark and everything went wrong that every day things just got worse. It was just like, just the amount of refunds were just, you know, we said we'd give refunds and they started being a thousand a day to like going to like hundreds of thousands a day and like your best customers and everybody. And then being in a situation where you were giving refunds and you weren't going to be able to get refunds yourself. It seemed like every day it was like another big sale and every day a employee of mine screaming at me, telling me that I let them down or just these two people fighting and just really thinking that ultimately the way that God has chosen for me is I was dying May 17th of COVID. I was completely convinced that was the end for me, that I was going to die on May 17th on my 60th birthday because everything is just going so bad. That was the ultimate end for me. That's how it's going to end. And really feared it sometimes it was going to become a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point. But from April 15th to May 15th, every day cried. Every day cried for a period of 15 minutes a day to six to 10 hours a day just downstairs in my basement because the kids were at school at home in my office upstairs said they needed it for better reception. But just being in the room in the basement, crying. Or being rolled up in my ball, my bathroom in the middle of the night, just crying. Just trying to process it all. It's like, you know, what happened? And like, I'd come upstairs at dinner time, my kids would say, how was today? And I, you know, it's funny, he didn't say, we didn't say trains, I talked about trucks. I'm like, oh, today I got hit by a 10-wheeler or today was a 16-wheeler, today was two 18-wheelers. And today was two, four, six trucks. And today wasn't bad. It was only a mini bus. And, but every day I got hit. But I think as I looked at May 15th, and as I came out of that, and, you know, the train never really ran me over. I never got run over. I think for me, it's always, trains have always come at me. So I think it was for me, it was like, I just had to get out of the way of that train and let the train go by and realize that train was going by. But as that train went by, you know, processing that maybe and, you know, yeah, that train went by and it didn't run me over. It, it, it freaking hit me and banged me around and I banged me around, but it didn't, it didn't run me over. It just bruised me up and beat me up a little more. But I guess, you know, now, I guess, you know, now it's like, you know, that now that train's coming back, right? And I just got to make sure when that train comes back, you know, I just got to do all I can because when that train comes back, I don't know what speed it's going at, but I got to be ready to grab onto that train and, you know, go back to success, right? And like that train's coming back. Now, I don't know if it's going to be three months, six months, eight months, two years. You know, I don't know. But, uh, you know, it's going to come back. And when it does, I'm taking that train. And that train's going to lead me to the greatest comeback that I've had in my life. And that's, you know, exciting because that's going to happen. Wow. Do you think there some of the industries that you work with as a ticket broker, do you think that some of them aren't coming back? Or let me let me rephrase it. Yeah, no, way, I don't Jim. see how they can come back. You know, I think it's you know it's uh, so the ticket industry. People don't understand about the ticket industry is the way the ticket industry grew. Pretty crazy was based on uh, reckless trust. It's a new word I just made up. Like uh, and uh, last year, just ironically, in the ticket industry, there was this beehive of activity. 
the two largest ticket companies in the world got sold, one being Vivid Seats, sold for $1.2 billion, and then StubHub sold for $4 billion. $4 billion. Um, the company today is worth arguably zero, and that was just six months ago, eight months, February. That's how much the, so, okay. So these companies have taken on, this goes back to your question, they took on this tremendous amount of debt because they just got bought, just got purchased. And now, March comes, and all of a sudden they say to guys, or March comes, the crap hits the fan, and StubHub and these other companies, um, um, uh, Ticketmaster and the teams, and everybody's like, you know, we're not, we, we're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna give you the, we're gonna hold on to the money right now. We're not gonna, you know, we don't know if the game's gonna happen, these postponed games, so we're not gonna give you the money back yet. So the dominoes essentially are falling. Okay, so here's what happens. So here's what happens. Now the NCAA regionals happen. There's $500 million worth of seats sold for the NCAAs. And the NCAA basketball tournament doesn't happen. And StubHub just gets sold. And this other company gets sold too. And the bean counter's like, hey, like, how's this work? And it's like, what do you mean? It's like, well, we owe these customers like $300 million. Like, Where's that money? Well, we, we sent it to these guys. It's like, who's these guys? All oh, these guys all over the country that sell tickets. Like, well, how are we going to get that money back? It's like, I don't know. No one ever thought, I don't know how we're going to get the money back. It's like, oh, time out. No more refunds. We can't give refunds because we're going to go bankrupt. If, how are we going to get the money? And it was going to be the death of the secondary ticket industry because it was a Mexican standoff to a degree because the, the, the ticket brokers were no longer going to ship the tickets to the exchanges and the exchanges were no longer going to pay them. And uh, to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars being owed, and as events went by, just more and more events went by, some, no one knew what was going to happen to the fate of the industry. Now, this story is still being written. It's this live time right now, right, as to what's going on. Um, but what's been fascinating, and something I'm pretty proud of, actually, as a ticket broker, is that those ticket brokers like me, who have had their lives upended and devastated. And those companies having no clause of really clawing back that money. They can go to court, try to get people. It's like, hey, I don't have the money, buddy. That 97% of ticket brokers have paid all those people back. I mean, it's a stunning number. Stunning. It is. Well, they still haven't given their consumers money back. Right. So I think that ultimately what happens to them, I don't know. I think that as all of us in any business at any time, you have to do the right thing. And if you do the right thing, you're going to survive. If you don't do the right thing, you're not going to survive. And whether that's the Ten Commandments or the laws of business or the street rules of life or whatever it takes. Wow. What amazing stories uh, that you've shared. And I really appreciate just how deeply felt uh, these stories are. Um, and the, one of the reasons you've been successful is because you take it personally. It's not just business for you. It's, it's your name. 
It's your reputation. And we really admire that. And your intestinal fortitude that you uh, picked up early on is clearly a you know, but I think Such it's the step. but it's 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 the roots that I had, you know, like pulling here today. Like you know, it's like this temple was very similar to me, being from Oak Hill Park and being the have nots. And with I remember this temple where we were that little white building and coming here and then going to other kids' temples, right? And we were like the have nots. Right? We weren't like the we were like this white building. I thought it was a fine and dandy until I went to other temples. I'm like, whoa, right? And then, you know, building this, this was like, you know, the most unbelievable thing ever, right? And like this, you know, it's the most unbelievable thing ever. But like, we were in that little white building over there. That's what I remember. This is the new temple. I still call it the new temple. It's built in 71, 72, right? The new temple. It's like, but that's what I kind of remember. So I think that, um, you know, I think that, you know, I think the grittiness of Jews or the grittiness of the people from the Northeast or the grittiness of maybe this community and the grittiness of what this, the, the grittiness of getting through this, the grittiness of, you know, it's like, I have friends, one of the things I was doing with my, I have other fellow Jews in my industry. And one of these things I was doing with my deal was, this big deal I was doing was, I was doing with other fellow Jewish businessmen. And they always kid me like, you know, Jimmy, this is you leading us after 40 years out of the promised land. This, this, is, this is it, that 40 years, right? And I gotta tell you, it's like, there's times that are really hard. I will tell you that, you know, a week ago when they canceled the marathon, holy cow, that was a bomb. And like, oh, April, April. It's like, I'm in October, you're canceling something for April. Like, holy cow, how long is this going to go? How long is it going to be? What am I supposed to do? And I said to myself, like, wow, this is like being like Moses in the desert. I have no idea what I'm doing out here. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I'm supposed to be going. I'm telling people, the, the employees are still like, follow me. And I'm going, and I know I'm going there. And I know I'm going to get there. But I have no idea where it is I'm going and how I'm going to get there. But I know I'm not going to give up. And as Jews, we don't give up, right? We keep going, right? And I'm going to keep going. And I don't know, maybe there's a lot, right? Because... I know, like, historically, we get, we're going to get there if we just keep going. So I'm just going to keep going. And uh, it's going to feel really good when I get there. And we'll follow you. Jimmy Hosman, you have been a member of this temple for several decades. And I'm really glad that you came by to talk. Uh, you've inspired us. And we're looking forward to watching uh, the next act as you hop that train. Thank you for your time and thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us on this episode of TBA Now. Please subscribe. We're going to be going on to find people of interest and note to talk to. And if you have any suggestions, please let us know. Once again, thank you from Temple Beth of Odell.